0: Stumbled on to The Sleeping Giant.
1: Let's our
2: <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome back to The Sleeping Giant Podcast. I am your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. This show is going to be pretty straightforward, and there's, unfortunately, a distinct lack of interest on my part when it comes to the already limited news in the worlds of Star Wars and Marvel, the two great pillars that support my fandom, as it were, Uh, though there are plenty of great podcasts that are handling that news very well. Um, In this month's episode of our podcast, we're going to jump right into the deep end with a discussion of the 1975 film, Jaws with uh, one of my favorite guests and dear old dad, yours truly, Mr. Steve Marcotte. He has been after me for a while for a Jaws podcast, so I owe it to him, and I do not doubt that you all will enjoy it. Besides, with the film's 44th anniversary not a few days past, and with the 4th of July just around the corner, it seemed like the perfect fit. Also, Be sure and stick around for the end of the episode, not that you wouldn't, of course, because we have been given a special treat, a teaser, if you will, to share with you all from uh, Mr. Curtis Smith, the creator and operator of Star Wars Poetry. Mr. Smith will be joining us on the show in the near future, so I hope that you enjoy his gift to us today. In the meantime, y'all get comfy. We are about to begin. Dad, you there? Yeah, I'm here. This particular episode, it's one that we've wanted to do for a while. In fact, if you remember, Dad, I had asked what was the thing that you wanted to talk about the most. And it took us forever to get to it. But finally, we're going to be talking about the 1975 picture, Jaws.
1: Yep, I'm looking forward to it.
2: There's not really a whole lot... To uh, that I'm very interested in discussing. Honestly, uh, usually there's a bit of news, or, or or an event that's occurred that I would like to talk about or share on the show, and it just it hasn't really occurred for me this month. Um, honestly, it's it's been a very trying month. Work is pretty difficult, and I've taken time away to sort of improve myself and and some academic ways. I've, I've dived full on back into German, which is pretty fun. And uh, I've been doing a lot more writing also, a okay. little bit of poetry. Good. And, um, you know, just trying to sharpen those skills and keep them sharp. Mm-hmm. So that's sure. taking time away from the show. And uh, which I, you know, I kind of regret, but at the same time, I think it's only gonna enhance things in the end.
1: Well, good, good. Sounds sounds good. good. Always good to improve.
2: What's uh, What's new in your your neck of the woods.
1: Uh, not much. Just trying to make it through the summer.
2: Oh, make it through. You mean without dying of heat stroke? Yeah, exactly.
1: It's pretty warm. I'm training for the peach tree, which is in a week. So Ann and I will run the the peach tree. It's the 50th running. So we're excited to to run it.
2: What? And how far is that?
1: 6.2 miles.
2: Gotcha. Wow. I can't even imagine running two miles at this point. <laughs> I don't
1: know yeah we're yeah Anne's really well trained I'm I'm having a little it's taken me a while to get back into shape so we're gonna give it a try
2: I don't know if our listeners know that about you that you uh, that you are in fact a, a multi-marathoner
1: yep yep six marathons
2: going back a good ways when did you start doing that uh
1: 2008
2: Wow and you're still going i I gave up. <laughs> You got me into it, yeah, and I had yeah, a, yeah. I felt like I had a really. I felt like I had a really good run. I was very pleased, uh, with what Nick Parcher and I accomplished in such a short amount of time, uh, having no prior training, and that was that was certainly fun to do. Yeah, you did well. The, the Athens, the first. That was the first half marathon, wasn't it? Um, was that the was that the second? first of the second? Yeah, I really wow. I don't remember. I'm gonna have to go back and I. You know, I've got my bib hanging up right above my head, mm-hmm. and I could stretch. Over there, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah, this year,
1: this year it's the 10th, and I've run every one so far. So, wow,
2: my plan is to
1: wow, run the run them all as many as I can.
2: Wow, 10 consecutive that's impressive, and I can't even believe that it's been 10 years. Oh, yeah, Yep. I mean, I my body believes it, I think, <laughs> but uh, intellectually, it's kind of difficult to get my head around that. Um, so Wow, ten years of the Athens half marathon. It's um it's been a strange year for anniversaries. The uh I mean speaking of Jaws, the was it the forty fourth anniversary, I believe, was on the twentieth.
1: Yep, June twentieth. Um, it it opened, June twentieth, nineteen seventy
2: five. Yeah, now I wasn't there for that, <laughs> but I was the, I, I was there for Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, which just had its 20th oh, anniversary. wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that was... I want to say that that was last, maybe last month. Um, I don't know if you keep up with the Sleeping Giant podcast Instagram, but I did make a post about it um, on the day. And let's see, it was actually on May 19th. Hmm. It was May 19th, 1999, I guess. But anyway, in the, in the post, hmm. I actually dug out that old marquee from uh, the Athens Banner Herald. I don't know if you remember that. Um, no, I sure don't. No. <laughs> no? Okay. Well, let let me remind you. Let me refresh your memory. There was a piece in the marquee. Actually, it was a the cover story on the marquee. It, they had photographed the Hasbro th- three and three-quarter inch Darth Maul. And during... Or, or rather, over the course of the article, they were, you know, discussing the the, the saga, obviously, but also collectors. And there was a, a lady there, a journalist from the uh, Athens Banner-Herald, that talked to us when we were standing in line. It oh, was Rusty. really, on, on midnight. Are you, you don't remember that? Oh, wow!
1: I remember uh, standing in line. I, I remember be doing that. But
2: and you know, it the excitement never really goes away. Every time. I, I remember being so enamored by the idea of the prequels because you used to talk to me about the prequels or, you know, us kids, I should say, and that was the first time I'd ever heard the word prequel when mm-hmm. we would talk about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was familiar with the concept. And then when they finally said that Lucas was making a new trilogy, I remember that that, that was probably the most exciting thing that I could ever imagine in my life. And I, I don't know if I was about thirteen, maybe fourteen, uh, when episode one came out. But I just the excitement is was unparalleled at that time. <laughs> and uh, well, we all we all know how that turned <laughs> out. I still have those I still have those figures. They're actually six feet away from me. Every single one that we bought that night. Oh really? Um, yep, I still have. Yep, in the package, and they're all um, I would say at this point near mint. Some of them. Uh, the card is a little bent towards some of the edges. Darth Maul in, in particular is a little bent. So I'd say very fine to near mint. A lot of those are. Um, they're still in good shape. Oh, I'm good, kind of surprised. Good. Like, but uh, but yeah, so the excitement, you know, it doesn't matter how the movie is received by yours truly. The excitement for each one is just always ridiculous. And I always say it's not going to happen, but it does. Mm.
1: Well, I, I was excited... Um, to go see Jaws uh, back in '75, i read the book and uh, knew it was coming out. There was a cover story, I think, in Time magazine, and
2: prior to the film's release. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I uh, I had been working for the City of Rain as a baseball scorer, scoring, keeping records of the the various little league games that were going on, and. Uh, June twentieth, uh, it rained, so a friend of mine and I had the opportunity to drive to Lafayette, and we we didn't see the the viewing that we wanted to see, so we waited in line uh, until the next viewing. And again, this isn't a, a, a multiplex. It, I think they only had four screens, and only one mm-hmm. devoted to Jaws.
2: So had they not anticipated uh, high viewership at that point? Well, movies
1: weren't um, as lucrative as they are now. There, there weren't as many theaters, especially in South Louisiana, as they would be now. Now you would have 12 to 16 screens. Sure. And um, in Lafayette, I, I know there's one multiplex within walking distance of my brother's house and... Another one, a short drive from my dad's house. Both different, uh, but a lot more viewing opportunity than
2: 44 years ago. You remember the, uh, the Carmike 12. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the uh, subsequent Carmike theaters that I worked at and or managed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uncommon for a film to come out that we would actually devote all... Every screen to that one movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. say at the end of the night around eleven or midnight, as it were. Um, I remember Spider-Man three. That one in particular, I think about half of the screens were devoted to Spider-Man three, and that I remember that very well because some kid pulled the fire alarm <laughs> uh, to to you know like a packed out mm. cinema, and that was. Man, that that's not a day. To have to do a refund one at a time, mm-hmm. Mm, mm-hmm. man, no thanks. Um, but anyway, so Jaws came out, as we said before, June 20th, 1975, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, probably, a- again, that's another name that I recall having first heard in our household. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So the interesting thing about Jaws, or rather, I mean there are several interesting things obviously, but one of the things that interested me was that the first draft was written by uh, the book's author Peter Benchley, and then the uh final screenplay of course was co-written by Peter Benchley, and uh, was it Carl Carl Gottlieb? Gottlieb. Yeah,
1: Carl Gottlieb. Um, uh, Spielberg actually did a draft uh, of his own screenplay and it didn't really come together well, and the producers told him that they had hired an actor, Carl Gottlieb, who was really pretty good with stuff like that. So he and Benchley collaborated for the final screenplay. And having Gottlieb on the set, they were able to make adjustments infam- infamously because the shark didn't work. So they would adjust the script based on what they were able to shoot and not shoot. And and Carl Gottlieb being on set was able to assist with that.
2: That is, I, I love hearing about how films come together like that, overcoming issues mm-hmm. specifically, and, and improvising. And Spielberg seems to have been way ahead in that game.
1: It, it was his second feature. Uh, he had done a movie, Sugarland Express, that was mildly successful, and the producers of that one, Zanuck and Brown had uh, both read the book and they both wanted to do the show. And Spielberg heard it, that they were interested in it and he, he asked to direct it. And, and that's how he came on board. Again, he was 28 at the time.
2: Which is a little bit older than I had thought that he was mm-hmm. when he did that. For some reason, I thought he was in his early 20s.
1: Uh, he had done a TV movie called Duel with Dennis Weaver. And he had then did Sugar Land Express. And to Spielberg, he felt that Jaws was a lot like Duel in that there was a, an unseen Leviathan who was menacing. In the case of Duel, just one person, Dennis Weaver, but in the case of Jaws, it was the uh, island of Amity.
2: Right. And I definitely want to talk about how that comes into play on screen mm-hmm. specifically uh, with the music, but we'll certainly get to that um, as as we move along through the conversation. So uh, just for those who, who don't know, or perhaps need reminding, um, there was a, or rather I should say, there was a, a thought that I had, I wanted to incorporate a little bit more information over the course. Of our conversation especially about these movies, um, so I just want to go ahead and, and put it out there. As far as the casting was concerned, uh, we definitely we definitely have Roy Scheider. He, he is probably the one that I think of first when it comes to Jaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Shaw as Quint, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Richard Dreyfus, Lorraine Carey, and Murray Hamilton. Lorraine Gray. Was, Lorraine Gray. Is it Lorraine Gray? Oh, Lorraine Gray. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Excuse me. That was uh. I apparently can't read my own handwriting. Uh, Murray Hamilton is probably the second person I think of when I reflect on Jaws, because that's just, that's, it's, it's, it's if there's a person that gets on my nerves the most in the world, it's probably the mayor, but moving on. Um, now, did you have a particular appreciation or, um, affinity for, for any of the cast prior to, to having seen Jaws? Uh, not really.
1: Um, Schreider was always a good character. Um, I, I think the three of um, uh, Chief Brody, Hooper, and Quint, especially when they're out at sea, is a, a great story, those three together. And and so I think it, I, I like Schreider a lot. I, I liked him in French Connection. Uh, so I always enjoyed seeing him uh, perform. And then Uh, Richard Dreyfuss had, I forget what he had done, he had done one, well, American Graffiti, he was in American Graffiti, Um, and Robert Shaw famously was in From Russia with Love, um, the Bond movie, so um, those three characters were always, always fun, and they're always fun to watch again, and in preparation for the podcast, watching the movie again, there still is a, a chemistry of the three of them that's really oh, yeah. pretty good. Uh, interestingly enough, um, Robert Shaw and Dreyfus did not get along on set, and some of that tension came through in the movie, and, and it, really, it really worked well.
2: Yeah, that that's one thing that stood out to me in having watched Jaws recently, probably for the first time, and I want to say maybe let's just say fifteen years, mm-hmm. maybe ten to fifteen years, which is somewhat of a crime now that I think on it. But that was one of the things that stood out to me the most was the chemistry between the actors. Um, I, I bought them as individuals and, uh, I bought the Brodies as a family also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that that was something that made the movie far more impactful, especially considering the situation itself, which, uh, was, I, you know, living on the, Oh, I don't live literally on the water, but a stone's throw away, uh, from the Gulf beach is pretty, (laughs) it's pretty upsetting Mm -hmm. actually.
1: Yeah. Um, when the movie came out, um, it, it, it did impact, um, beaches across
2: America, especially. There fashion? was uh,
1: less people going into the water. They were afraid of sharks. It, it did a very effective job of making people afraid to go into the water.
2: Which maybe not a good thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it certainly certainly had an impact in that regard, I suppose, mm-hmm. which, which speaks volumes about the film, I think. Yeah,
1: one of the interesting things, uh, because of the production overruns, it was originally scheduled to come out in December when all the big movies came out. Um, Christmas time was traditionally the time where people went to movies. And there was no such thing as a summer blockbuster. And Jaws was the first to have that, that title. And, and, of course, you see now the summer is when all the big movies come out. and They, sure. they compete for screen time even scheduling the release dates based on other releases. So you're not going to have a movie that's going to go up against uh, Endgame, for example.
2: Right. Some, somebody's always got to get ahead. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the I love it. Um, I did think that it was interesting when I was researching a little bit after having watched Jaws last night, I thought it was interesting that it was the highest grossing film of all time prior to Star Wars. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: it sure was. That,
2: that, that fascinates me. Mm-hmm. And I can I, I really can kind of see how Jaws set the standard and, and raised the bar pretty high in all sorts of ways concerning uh, movie going. And I guess it, it impressed somebody. Uh, I know that I had read through the Wikipedia entry and I was most impressed, I think, by the fact that it had been selected by the Library of Congress Um, for Preservation of the United States Film Registry, which Hmm. it seems pretty significant to me. Um, So it is is a classic piece of film and a classic piece of art, Mm -hmm. I would say. It's Mm -hmm. definitely, it's one for the history books, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, So I want to ask you, let's talk about, if you don't mind, if you'll indulge me, tell me about having seen Jaws the first time versus having seen it most recently?
1: Well, the first time it was all very unexpected Um, everything that came together. I think you and I have spoken about this before that I I just kind of let it all flow over me and, and just watching it, you you read the book, I read the book, uh, but the movie came out very differently than the book, of course. And it was just a spectacle and the whole thing, the visuals, and, and I have to say the music for me, the music was spectacular. And I don't think any, any soundtrack moved me the same way until uh, Star Wars and then, of course, Close Encounters. And those are all, all three pieces of music that I still listen to on occasion. So when you heard the cello, the opening notes of the uh, the main title and then the first victim is the first track, that was so unexpected. You you knew something was going to happen, but you had no idea what it was. You just absolutely had no idea. And it, w- it was really exciting. And so uh, as you go forward in the movie, you're, you're just... Going along for the voyage, and not to use the seafaring term, but just enjoying the the ride. How is it going to come out? and the, sure. And the ending, of course, is is different than the ending that eventually envisioned. And he so hated the ending that he was asked to leave the set and li- wow. and leave the movie because he just did not like how it ended. And you could see that it had to have a hero ending. Whereas right. in the book, I don't know if you knew this. In the book, the shark just succumbs; he drowns because of the barrels. That's that's how he, drown, he ends in the book. Uh, so it was just a,
2: I did not. Yeah, know. it was
1: just a wild ride. It was it was a lot of fun, and again, the movie is divided into pretty much two acts. That wasn't intentional. Uh, the shark was uh, intended to be seen pretty quickly in the movie but it just didn't work the mechanical shark didn't work zanuck and brown had thought uh, that they could tame a shark of course that didn't work and so they they used the mechanical shark there were three different ones and they tested in a freshwater environment but in the saltwater environment off of cape cod martha's vineyard it just it wreaked havoc on the uh, pneumatics of that device and so Every day they had to try to come up with something different until they finally got it to work. And that's the second act when the three main characters go out to sea.
2: I did watch it last night with that in mind. I know that we had a a brief sort of preliminary discussion Mm -hmm. or talk about how we wanted to do this and how we wanted to approach it. And I definitely watched it with that in mind. And it's very clear that, that there is that division
1: yeah absolutely so there's the initial story uh the setup and then the second act is the the conflict and conclusion all in that one act uh so it's it's pretty good it, it, it still holds up i think there's some elements that don't hold up uh uh example the mayor smoking in the hospital
2: Oh well, well it's not a story element that doesn't hold yeah, up. yeah exactly you know, it's just something that's not it's not done yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly you don't you don't do that anymore um well, it was it reminds me of uh i want to say maybe it was forrest gump where uh mama gump is at the gynecologist and but he's just got a cigarette hanging yeah, out of Yeah, exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. Hey, what is going on here? Um, but yeah, so there are, there are definitely a lot of things in films like that that, that don't necessarily carry over in time. Speaking of, uh, the film was rated PG. It, that was the final rating given by the MPAA. hmm um, yep. Which mm-hmm. is, from what I understand, they initially wanted to give it an R rating before it had been, been trimmed down yeah they dialed down
1: the, the blood a little bit yeah
2: that's that's a very interesting point to me and and sort of somewhat demonstrative of of, of how things have changed to a degree i caught a little bit of hell actually um i had I posted on twitter and instagram that jaws was the first movie that izzy actually sat and watched with oh you. really she just will not she will not watch live action movies with me. <laughs> i mean you know we brought her along for the ride uh when we would go see movies you know mm-hmm. especially when she was younger and a toddler and you know it kept her occupied but she wasn't really involved mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i tried desperately to get her to watch star wars and uh and even willow we um oh i was given willow yeah, Willow's a good, as a father's yeah, day gift. A gr- yeah great movie fantastic movie so i'm hoping now that she's sat and watched this that will do that. But the point point of the story is I was just enamored by the notion that she had expressed interest in, in watching a film with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and I became very excited that it was, uh, you know, again, the first live action film that she sat and watched with me and, uh, asked questions the whole time. And, you know, was being very studious mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. it, which I thought was pretty amazing. Well, and, uh, it was great. We're
1: well, going, but, going back to the R rating, obviously the audience is much bigger for a pg movie than an r movie
2: right it, which i totally yeah, understand yeah
1: and that and that was the right move
2: i do feel though and this was kind of the point of the discussion or the point of of me segueing into that story is that uh i think now if jaws came out it would have a pg13 rating yeah um, it, it
1: would but but it just doesn't have the same impact. You have a large audience with a PG thirteen movie as a PG movie. A right. lot of people are still going to go see it.
2: Yeah, I, and I don't. Uh, I, I just I don't think that people were as uh, what's the right word sensitive mm-hmm. maybe to certain aspects in in film, especially films that end up being very popular. So um, definitely think that 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 historical curio is worth mentioning. Um, so the, the movie itself, I had asked what your experience was like watching it recently. Um, oh, it's still fun. Kinda... It's still
1: fun watching it recently. It's still, even though you know what's going to happen, the, just watching the action, watching the story unfold, it, it, it's still a lot of fun. It, it's still one of my favorite movies of all time.
2: I found that it was an altogether different experience for me because take the opening sequence, for example, I could actually see what was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know the last time I watched Jaws, it was probably on a VHS. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. I could not see anything. If that whole thing was dark. And the only thing I remember is just the moonlight on the water and screaming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that was about it. I mean, I, I knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, there were shapes implied, I think. But, uh, you know, the clarity with which I watched it last night was pretty astounding. Yeah.
1: An interesting bit of trivia regarding the opening is when Spielberg did the movie 1941, which wasn't one of his more successful movies, he duplicated that opening with the same actress and almost shot for shot until the submarine comes up. So same actress... It's the same sort of action, the same build-up, uh, but he duplicated his own work in that regard.
2: I don't think I was ever cognizant of yeah,
1: that. Yeah, yeah. If you ever have a chance, just, I, I wouldn't say, although Belushi and Ackroyd are funny, but that opening, he duplicated from Jaws.
2: That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I could definitely dig that. Um, the other point, about that opening sequence, was uh, it just right on the heels of that young lady being devoured, you're sort of right into the action, which really caught me off guard. I don't remember it being that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very fast-paced, I thought, and I didn't feel like I was given an opportunity to kind of relax after, um, after the beach sequence which I felt was a, a good good point to Spielberg.
1: Yeah, it's a, a running time of just over two hours, a very relatively short title sequence, hardly any credits. So it's pretty much two hours of, of just action.
2: Yeah, that stood out as well. Um, even the point that he is, uh, when Brody receives the telephone call, mm-hmm. Just the way that he's moving through the town, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, walking, brushing people aside, mm-hmm. people that normally are hassling him left and right all day, mm-hmm. every day. <laughs> you know, he just did not have time for no, it. No, he. And, yeah, he's uh, a, I really appreciated that. Yeah, he's a very
1: serious. He, he was a very serious law enforcement officer. He took his job very, very seriously.
2: So, with that, I think that that seriousness with which he approached the situation. I mean, I think. I think it was a, a tremendous situation kind of thrust on him and uh, and that was exemplified by how the people that were approaching him, their problems seemed so petty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought that that was an interesting way to present that. That that this was what he was used to dealing with on a routine basis. And then all of a sudden there's this dismembered girl on the beach being devoured by crabs. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the, the book uh, laid out how quiet Amity, Amity was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went into a little more detail about how he just had to deal with nine-year-olds karate chopping picket fences, for example. <laughs> that, that's the pretty much the extent that he had to deal with.
2: Right. Now, the other point that he contended with which probably frustrated me more than anything, because as a, a grown man, I even had to think about it for a little while. But you know, as an adult person, initially I was aggravated with the mayor, like I always am, and I'm still aggravated with that character and uh, sort of what he was attempting to do and and kind of how he was trying to skirt around the idea that or the notion that the shark attack had taken place, that it was all about the money for this guy. But as an adult, also, I had to say, well, you know, this, it it is the town's livelihood. What do you do? Because he kind of had a situation placed in front of him as well. And I think he made a bad call. Yeah,
1: it's interesting, though. I, I just watched the HBO series Chernobyl, which I recommend.
2: Oh, I've watched it. It's, it's, it's. I don't, I don't even have words for it right now. It's, it's pretty fantastic. Though.
1: But the first line of the movie is, what is the cost of lies? And, and that came into play in Jaws. What was the cost of the lies? So, yes, he had... Um, what was the, the financial impact for the, the town, the village? But that, that cost, that cost uh, significantly in lives.
2: Yeah, Absolutely, and I think that it was the mother of the little boy that really brought brought that to light mm-hmm. um, yeah. after the dog, who was incidentally named Pippin, which I yeah, thought was cool. Yeah. I, I can only assume that that was a nod to Lord of the Rings. Um, The dog just sort of disappears, and then the, the child, of course, which was pretty, <laughs> i got to admit, that was pretty gruesome. Yeah, um, and it
1: was, going back to your, your discussion about the rating, it was less gruesome than they originally wanted it to be.
2: Do you have the the deets on that one? No, it's just that
1: they they're going to make him just swimming instead of on a raft. Um, And it would have been a little more visceral. And on the raft, the only thing they show is the the shark flipping over, which would have been what the shark would have done in real life Mm -hmm. and just showed the blood pooling. So it wasn't as visceral as it could have been.
2: Uh, i'm almost glad for yeah that, actually the
1: little the little Kittner boy alex Kittner.
2: yeah that's the name that escaped me yeah mrs Kintner. Uh so that is sort of the event that brings the town meeting together mm-hmm. um where we first meet Quint. Mm-hmm. which i i had the volume up pretty high um during the town meeting so when he raked his fingernails across the blackboard that was just about all i could take um, yeah it, of that. yeah
1: um, we talked about the running time briefly when it ran on television the movie's been on television a lot and i don't know if you recall or your audience could recall that before the advent of streaming networks would have movie nights and it would be a big deal for <laughs> them and abc for one would show these blockbuster movies and one in particular airport was this ratings bonanza and movies weren't, you could only watch them at the theater or on network television. That was it. There was no home video. I think the first, um, VHS we owned was Beetlejuice. I don't know if you remember
2: that.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You guys love Beetlejuice. So, um, so it was a big deal for it to be on television. So a lot of it was catered to television as well. And often they would make a couple of takes. It would be the movie take and then the television take. Right. And on the television viewing of Jaws, that scene was a lot longer. There was a lot more quint in that scene.
2: Well, I did not know Yeah. that.
1: So, um,
2: Are those included in any of the recent DVD and Blu-ray releases? You know, I haven't.
1: I haven't looked. Um uh, I can't tell you how many copies of Jaws I own. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I own. I know. Ha, I know we had the VHS. I think I've got the DVD downstairs, and then of course digital. I've got digital
2: now. Yeah, I'm I'm that way with albums. Yeah, really, yeah. I think, Tools Lateralis. Oh yeah, I, yeah. Between Lateralis and anima i think i've owned maybe six copies of anima wow yeah over the course of time so i definitely can relate to that um so so we were introduced to Quint, which i thought was in my opinion one of the more if not the most fascinating character mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in the movie oh um, yeah because he's, he's obvious he's obviously crazy um but it's it's more of a, a, a meticulous lunacy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. I don't know if that, that was the right wording, but it's all I could come up with. Yeah, he he had a vendetta
1: against sharks, of course, from the Indianapolis story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was an old seaman, and and just he had he didn't fear sharks. He had faced probably the worst that a man could face, and. So he made it his job to take out vengeance on sharks. So, uh, that's what he did.
2: Yeah. I really appreciated that scene of him on the orca leaving the marina while all of the other amateur shark hunters Mm. were creating Mm. (laughs) all of that nonsense. He just had this look on his face, like, (laughs) look at this circus. (laughs) Um,
1: yeah, I was going to say. Interestingly enough, when he leaves and he does that little ditty about uh, the the girl who the woman who here lies the whatever, anyway, the the he just made that up, and they were concerned that they would have to pay for that quote and uh, clearance, and he's
2: because he made it up. No,
1: well, because he was a playwright. Robert Shaw was a playwright. Uh, And they asked him, you know, where does that come from? Do you have to get clearance? He goes, it came off a grave in Scotland or something like that. Mm. So they didn't have to pay clearance for it. So those odd bits of trivia where you you take the skill set of Robert Shaw, for example, as an actor, who's got a tremendous breadth of experience. And so he was able to put that experience into... Exactly what you describe of Quint to to make him that character that you appreciate. <laughs>
2: yeah, appreciate is probably the best best word that we could use. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, quickly before uh, before I, I lose this train of thought during the scene in which they are excavating the the tiger shark's <laughs> innards. Yeah. Uh, a tiger shark. A what? A what? Uh, <laughs> Izzy got a kick out of yeah. that. She's been saying she's been saying it all day, um, but I noticed that there was a Louisiana license plate in there. And, yeah,
1: that that got a big roar uh, when it came on screen, uh, and you know, it was a packed house. It, it was a big uh, a big uh, scream for that. Yeah, it was very appreciated.
2: <laughs> well, I definitely thought of you when I yeah. saw that. I did not. Re- I remember the license plate, but I. Did not recall it being a Louisiana. Oh yeah. Uh, absolutely. So I thought that was pretty. And, cool. and it was
1: it was almost true to the time. Sportsman's paradise was what was on the plates. Yeah.
2: That's awesome. Uh, you know, I kind of lost track of of where that was. Like I said, I kind of jumped to that thought because I didn't want to lose it. Um, it, it was after
1: um after Mrs. Kintner uh, came on to the dock after they captured the tiger shark. And the mayor, well, uh, Hooper said the only way to tell for sure is to cut it open. And the mayor says, well, we're not going to perform some half-ass autopsy and have the little <laughs> kinder boy's bones spill out <laughs> all over the dock.
2: Yeah, that would have been a little, uh, that would have been upset. So the next
1: thing is then they go out and they find being Gardner's boat. And then then it's the Fourth of July.
2: That part was actually the only part that, that frightened me when I was a kid, mm-hmm. out of the whole movie. It, it's interesting. You, that was the. Only it's part. interesting you
1: say that. Say that because um, Spielberg wanted one good shock, and he at times said he got greedy. He says sometimes he didn't really need that shot, but the test runs. There was no real shock. And so what they did is they filmed that scene in the editor's swimming pool where the head pops out. That, that was added after primary filming.
2: I, I, could, I could kind of see that. It's always interesting to find out the sequence in which things are shot mm-hmm. and then cut into place. Always fascinates me. Movie making is so the opposite of linear. Oh, it's absolutely
1: um, nonlinear. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, if you watch, I remember this very clearly from the, the Time Magazine article back 44 years ago. If you look closely, the, the sky changes from shot to shot. It, it's just, there's so many things they couldn't control. The right. scene is different from shot to shot. But interestingly enough, in one of the scenes where there's a shooting star, that wasn't an added effect. That actually took place where they were filming. And that was just, as we'd say in Louisiana, it was just extra. They happened to pick that up.
2: That's awesome. I love the the happy mistakes mm-hmm. or the unintended unintended successes. Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's shortly thereafter. I I know that the uh, the gentleman in the boat is knocked over after the shark hoax, and subsequently dismembered and or consumed. Mm-hmm. That pushes the mayor to sign the voucher to hire uh, Quinn, mm-hmm. if I remember yeah, things correctly. Right. And it's about it's about that point where the narrative is broken and continued as or in the second act, as you pointed out earlier. Um, I found that once that happened, once the three of them were on the boat, I kind of missed the character interactions on land. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because they're so different, is there a portion of that movie that you prefer or that you enjoy more?
1: I I, I prefer when they're at sea. And I would say that going back to the first viewing that was a natural progression because you had to have a hero story and they're they're out pursuing the leviathan and that is quince becomes quince moby dick
2: right i was gonna say he's he is more or less Ahab yeah exactly and and that at that moment and so or in that
1: yeah and so they I, you, can, you can say Schreiner is Ishmael. You know, it depends. But I, I really enjoy when they're out at sea. They, they get an opportunity to have conflict and there's a bonding moment um, when they're mm-hmm. comparing scars, for example. And then you just get Quint's backstory, the telling of the Indianapolis. And I think that had to be, um, that character study had to take place uh, pretty much by itself, uh, which sure. it did. Uh,
2: now I don't let me let me say this before we move forward. I don't dislike that at all. In fact, that scene, that whole that whole sequence that you just described to me, that's a continuation of the things that I appreciated about the first part of the mm-hmm. movie. So it's it's not that I, I suppose I shouldn't say I favored the first half of the movie more. Um, but the things that were in the first half of the movie, the aspects of the film, I think I, I favored more, and that scene was certainly a continuation of that.
1: I I, I certainly understand that, um, but again, in the first viewing, um, that was a natural progression. I, I think it it, mm-hmm. it flowed very well, and I think it was it would make it a better movie than let's say the shark worked, and there was a lot more interaction. On shore, and so.
2: Oh, I'm not disparaging the the craft mm -hmm. at all, or the way that it turned out. I mean, it's it's still, I mean, it's it's essentially a masterpiece. Uh, Yeah, again, as we said, it's
1: as a story, it's held up 44 years and will continue to hold up. Um, Some of the, you know, we talk about good music is going to be good music. Mm-hmm. You've got Danny Boyle making a movie called Yesterday about the the music of the Beatles, and gosh, that the Beatles broke up in 1970. <laughs> so, right, uh, and then people still listen to Beethoven, Bach, Mozart. I, so people are going to watch Jaws. It's going to come up. On uh, people, go, hey, did you ever see this movie? So
2: now I had uh, very quickly before we leave Quint. And his story about Indianapolis, the, uh, the USS Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Yes, I and I don't know if this is true. Maybe you you read this. I had read that uh, John Millius had assisted with some of the uh, the monologue, which I thought was interesting. Had yeah, you read yes, that or had you yes, that? absolutely.
1: Yep, yeah.
2: I thought that was very cool. Mm-hmm. I I definitely appreciate uh, John Millius. I guess you could say I'm a fan. So I was pretty uh, I was pretty interested to read that and it was exciting for me to find out that that had happened yeah
1: and and not to disparage robert shaw but he had a problem he had a drinking problem and they they originally filmed or tried to film that speech at night and he couldn't get through it he he was just too drunk and and he was a professional he was a pro he recognized that he had an issue and he begged spielberg to do it again And some of the scenes, some of the cut, you can see in his eyes that he's not quite with it as further in the speech, but it was, it was done the next day and he just absolutely nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. And it's still a wonderful, wonderful piece of film work.
2: Absolutely. I I can't contest that at all. Uh, But now, now that we've kind of gotten that out of the way, and I've, I, I just had to get my, my fill of that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned music. You had just mentioned music, uh, the Beatles specifically, and, and the impact that those musicians had on culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John Williams. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and and Jaws spe- specifically. Jaws. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Williams. Hell yes, but Jaws specifically. I know it's probably it's probably widely known at this point that that uh the cues specifically the the, the cello, you know, the now famous or infamous, you know, da, da 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 that only takes place when the shark is involved in the scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, not knowing that prior, I didn't make that connection and I I find that the use of that music in that way is so incredibly clever that I almost can't stand it.
1: Yeah, um you asked about the first viewing. Yeah, we you knew when that music came on, something was going to take place. Uh, and I know that other movies had signature music for soundtracks prior to Jaws. Brid- Bridge on the River Kwai, The Great Escape, The Dirty Dozen. Those all had well-known pieces of music. If you heard them now, if you're of a certain age you know, well, that that music is from The Great Escape, for example. Mm-hmm. But for me, Jaws, more than anything, showed the importance of music uh, as a part of the storytelling. Now, Star, Wars, Close Encounters, John Williams, all of them. Uh, Star Wars, of course. Um, the opening bars of the Star Wars uh, theme music You'll always know that Star Wars, but in Jaws, <laughs> those beats, the cello, bum 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 bum, you you know something's going to happen, and it's been used in other movies sometimes with comedic effect, uh, but uh, it, it's and it's been ripped off countless times as right. a a cue, as you said.
2: So, with with that said, do you feel that? John Williams and Jaws played an important part in shaping the way that, that we still make films in, in relation to the score and the music. That's oh, absolutely. Made. And can you think yeah, of any? Absolutely. Can you think of a good example?
1: Modern modern music? Uh, modern movies?
2: For, yeah, say the last well, five to yeah, ten Yeah, I can years. tell
1: you we saw Toy Story 4 over the weekend, which is a lot of fun. I, I think Izzy would love it. But I'm. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, You've got a friend in me is just Toy Story, and when those uh, strains come on the screen, you you know it, and that's just a movie that I've seen recently. Um, to a, uh, another extent, the Avengers theme, uh, uh, yeah, that that comes through, and you know it's the Avengers, you know it's one of the MCU movies, one way or the other. Right. Um, so yeah, um, but but. Uh, there's so much to making a movie that that brings it all together, and in Jaws you had the the story which was great, where, where you had an unseen and I use the term Leviathan because that's what Spielberg called it, and if he could call it Leviathan, I'll I'll take that from him.
2: I don't see why you would not be allowed to use that. Yeah,
1: so uh, you had that story. You had um, the various characters, which you alluded to, which you had the chief and Hooper, uh, the mayor, uh, the townspeople, all of those, all those independent characters. You had the sea as a character. Remember the sea as a character in this particular movie?
2: Do I remember? Yeah. I don't think it was yeah. pointed out to me, but I mean, I feel that it definitely plays a yeah. part. Um,
1: and... and um, then you've got the filming itself. You you've got uh, the cinematography, and then you've got the the soundtrack, and then you've got the marketing. The marketing of that movie um, was a little different too, because that the uh, poster was a uh, an adaptation of the book cover, and it's very very menacing, and so you you had that as well. And, and sometimes you have a movie you have a movie that doesn't come out as well because one or a few of the elements just don't sync up. And then you've got other movies where everything syncs up and then you have a masterpiece and it just, it just works. Uh, And, and I'll digress a little bit. I'm reading a book. uh, I'm reading a book about Harper Lee who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. And um, that To Kill a Mockingbird was just almost the perfect novel and Harper Lee was never a, able to duplicate that uh, She there was a second book uh, called The Watchman that came out a couple of years ago but nothing that. compared to To Kill a Mockingbird and they're just pieces of art or literature or, or um, what have you that just are synonymous with just you can't alter them; they just work, and they look—they look great. Uh, I, I'm a—I'm a big fan of Monet's uh, Water Lilies series, and I've seen them in Paris, London, New York, Atlanta, and in all the different versions I see are are, are great. They're—they're they're all beautiful.
2: I know that the specifically the poster that you mentioned that that is also now. At least in my mind, iconic. Oh, yeah. has yeah. also been been parodied to hell. Absolutely, back. yeah. Uh, you mentioned that the marketing before the film was unique, and apart from the poster, I- I'm not familiar. Well, it, with the marketing for the well, film. the fact that
1: it got a time Time magazine cover story, you kind of kind of push that um, a little bit, um, and so there was a big press push to to get word out there about the movie. Um, and then when it came out, of course, um, it continued to run in the theaters. And so there was a continual push to, to get it in front of as many people. So it opened um, initially with a relatively few amount of theaters and then quickly uh, was seen on more screens. So that was a, a big push. So marketing...
2: Oh, I suppose it would have had to. Yeah.
1: So marketing, as what we consider marketing today... Uh, I, there were no action figures, but uh, they, uh, it, it still was pushed pretty heavily. And if for good, and for I good reason.
2: What that would even be. Yeah, you know, for good
1: reason. Uh,
2: because I don't know if you remember, uh, the, the action figures from, I want to say it was Kenner that did the Terminator 2 <laughs> stuff. You know, because, because you've got like so many different versions of the characters, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, with various powers and abilities and uh you know it's just like where the hell was this in the film and that's something i gotta tell you even as a child i didn't understand Mm um let's see they did the the aliens line i don't know if you remember that i was very excited about this but the thing that tripped me up was that there were so many of the figures that did not remotely resemble the characters from the film so i was pretty upset by that ripley was one of the only ones that even looked remotely mm-hmm, normal mm-hmm. um and that was i just kind of had to to make do with that mm-hmm. i was like you know you're the best one because <laughs> of that not not to get sidetracked yeah, yeah. but yeah i just I, I, I my brain hurts at the thought of of what you know versions they would have of hooper and oh, yeah. of you know, it's all like scuba attack cooper yeah, yeah. But uh, but anyway, I know you really wanted to do to do a show where we talked about Jaws, mm-hmm. and I'm glad mm-hmm. we finally mm-hmm. got to do it. Yeah. Um. I, so I want to ask: Is there anything else that you would like to say about it, or anything that just really fascinated you about the movie that that we didn't cover?
1: No. Again, um, we talk about it um, a lot when you and I watch movies about how I kind of go into it, just letting it wash over me and not really trying to break it up into all these different parts and elements and kind of look at it from a, a total package. And and again, mm-hmm. I, there are very few movies that I accept the total package. I think they're great from a, from the totality of the the, the movie. And, and I, I went back and I mentioned I, I've owned various copies of Jaws. So my favorite movies are um, Star Wars, Raiders, Jaws, Close Encounters, and I, I just really enjoy watching a part of them, all of them, because of the totality of of the experience. You go, that's a great experience, and mm-hmm. I, I think um, in modern day, I've really gotten into the John Wick series. That's just <laughs> that's just fun. Theater. That's just going to watch yeah. this character, which you have to suspend belief to a, a certain point. Sure. It's just fun to watch.
2: Well, somehow I've managed to avoid what I would, I guess, consider John Wick's spoilers. We have the Blu-ray in the living mm-hmm. room right now. I made it a point to get it because I finally said, I, I got to watch this John Wick thing. And it, see what it's it's a lot about. of fun.
1: A lot of fun. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, Jaws um, was fun to watch. Um, waiting in the rain 44 years ago, almost to the day, uh, a week ago, 40, 44 years in, in a week. Um, it was fun to watch. It was an incredible experience on screen. um, it's fun every time I watch it. I um, I pick up things that I didn't pick up on on previous viewings. I uh, I just accept it. It's it's a great movie. It's it's a lot of fun to watch. It's it still is, uh, over and
2: over again. Uh. Wow. I I don't know if I have one that I feel that passionately about. Maybe Empire.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And. Again, I know Empire's is a great movie, but Star Wars was, and we talked about this. We've talked about this in the past. Star Wars was the first one; and it will always be the first one, and it's it's great. And always going back to it, and it, it's it's always a lot of fun. And no matter when you pick it up, uh, beginning, middle, or or right at the end when they're diving on the Death Star, uh, it, it's all a lot of fun. And and I remember watching that in the theater. So it's all of these movies that we talk about um, are ones that were significant. Viewing them and and they stuck with me, uh, and and I remember them and they're still fun to think about. It doesn't have to be a movie. I I um I saw La Traviata, uh, the opera, and it still uh, stays with me. I thought that was a great piece of theater and music. So it's. It's a lot of different things. They just stick with you and you remember them.
2: Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing about art, Mm -hmm. isn't it? And I think that a lot of times, at least for me, when I go see a film, I'm not, I'm not always under the impression that what I'm experiencing is a piece of art that somebody has expressed and put together. Sometimes it does feel a bit slapdash. And sometimes it feels a lot more like, okay, we have to build this product and, you know, people will watch it. And it, that doesn't mean it isn't fun, um, but I, I don't always feel that way. And uh, and, and I, I would most certainly and vehemently agree with you about Jaws as a film or as a piece of art, really. Um so it. Uh, I'm actually planning on watching it again very soon here, just to see, as you said, if there's anything that I missed. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there are many things that uh, that escaped me this last time that I watched it. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Izzy wants to. She said sh- she refers to sequels as. <laughs> it's funny. She says, "Can we watch Jaws uh, season <laughs> two? <laughs> season two. <laughs> um, I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> well,
1: one, one interesting thing if you if you watch it again when. When they discovered the remains of, of Chrissy on the beach, uh, interesting bit of trivia, they couldn't get a prosthetic to look good. So that's actually an actress's arm. She's buried in the sand and they just pick up her arm and show it. That's, that's what that is.
2: Wow. And it, was, it was very convincing. So I suppose that's mm-hmm. why it's the crabs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because like, you know that that's exactly what yeah. would happen. Um, in that scenario, that that didn't scare me, but it definitely, you know, out of a lot of the stuff that you see, that was one of the things that kind of made my skin crawl just a little mm-hmm. bit. It's like, uh, being scavenged. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't make mm-hmm. me happy. Um, well, I think uh, I, I don't really have anything else to uh, to add okay. to to the conversation. Um, I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed watching it again, and I'm glad that you. Uh, spurred me to do this what would the f- the fourth of july weekend mm-hmm. rapidly mm-hmm. approaching yeah uh, so i suppose it was a very appropriate time to to, to finally get to do this mm-hmm. with you yeah i, uh, with I, I that, think uh, so right around the corner and of course the 44th anniversary mm-hmm. of jaws having occurred just uh, just a few days mm-hmm. ago um so it was very fun i'm glad we got to do it i hope it was as fun as i imagined it would be and had hoped that it would be for oh, you.
1: always always fun always enjoy it always enjoy <laughs> it very good
2: all right well is there anything that you would like to impart to our listeners dad before we uh start? no
1: happy uh, fourth of july um i hope everybody enjoys it and uh, enjoy the summer it'll go by very quickly
2: indeed indeed it will Always, always a pleasure. Thanks again for joining me.
1: Bye.
2: Thanks to my dad, Steve Marcotte, for that wonderful conversation. It's hard for me to imagine where I would be without his influence and assistance and taste-building when it comes to film appreciation. Maybe I would have gravitated towards the same things. Maybe not. I mean, I guess nobody can really know. Either way, we hope both of us that you enjoyed that as much as we did now as promised from star wars poetry this is the first published poem based on the upcoming series the mandalorian enjoy
0: the mandalorian the empire is gone so there's nothing to fear but a monster like that doesn't just disappear you can trust in your blaster your knife and your gear you can feel a strange itch when a stormtrooper's near they may bed down with scum their white armor gone gray but if you turn your back they might injure you today now a bounty of beskar birthright of your clan you would take any risk you would hunt any man razor crest awaits you closest thing to a home Half the reason you hunt is because you need to roam. The empire is gone, so there's nothing to fear. But a monster like that doesn't just disappear. Find me on Twitter, at Star Wars Poet, on Instagram and Facebook, at Star Wars Poetry. Always Star Wars, always poetry, always original work, posting daily
2: All right, gals and guys that's our show for this month many many thanks once more to my dad Steve Marcotte and to Curtis Smith of Star Wars Poetry new and more nuanced things are in the works y'all so make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on Spotify Uh, and if you're inclined you can follow us also on Twitter where the handle is at TSG underscore pod you can shoot us a message tweet us a tweet um, almost at a Very dirty word there, guys. Um, Anyway, yeah, just uh, like, subscribe, all that business. Once again, I've been your host, Grayson Parker-Marcott. Thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant podcast. Until next time, y'all.